Welcome to Tablets Parsha in Progress, where we talk about the Torah portion of the week and why it matters. I'm Abigail Pogrebin, author of My Jewish Year, 18 Holidays, One Wandering Jew. And I'm Rabbi Dov Linzer, head of Yeshivat Chovevei Torah Rabbinical School. And we're talking Torah together, not just because the Hebrew Bible is so challenging and relevant today, but because we've found that this ancient text comes to life in conversation, especially between two people who practice Judaism very differently. Hello, Dove. Hey, Abby. We've got a big one this week. Oh, yes. Let's say it at the same time. The, the Ten, Ten Commandments. Commandments. God's top ten list. <laughs> I'm doing the thunder and the lightning. All right. And we're going to ask something that could sound sacrilegious. Are they the right Ten Commandments? <laughs> and first, let's review what they are, even though we know all of our listeners have them memorized and inscribed on their hearts. Right. I'm just going to reframe the question as, are they the same Ten Commandments I would have picked? Okay. <laughs> it's, all about, it's all about your, your commandments, Dove. All right. No, it's all about saying whether God is right or not. <laughs> All right. Number one, I am the Lord your God. First, just explain. We're not going to stop at each one, but why is that a commandment? Because it confuses people. Well, there's actually a debate. Some read this as a commandment to believe in God, and others read this really as a preamble, not as a commandment. The Torah doesn't call them Ten Commandments. It calls them the Ten Utterances. So that's a whole other conversation. This is the first utterance. The first utterance. I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. Number two, don't have other gods or make idols. Number three, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Number four, keep the Sabbath. Number five, honor your parents. Number six, do not commit murder. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Number eight, do not steal. Number nine, do not bear false witness. And number 10, do not covet. I just want to say that Dove did that from memory. (laughs) So... So I've heard rabbis teach that half of these commandments apply to our relationship with God and half to our relationship with other people. That's the standard explanation, but um, I actually have a different way of looking at it. Number one is the preamble, and then to divide it into three. The next three are about our relationship to God. Don't have other gods. uh, Don't take God's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath. And then the next three are our relationship to people. Honor your parents, don't commit murder, do not commit adultery. And the last three have to do with our relationship to property. Don't steal, don't bear false witness, which usually is related to that those issues, and don't covet. Um, because the other way, you know, the problem is that number five, honoring your parents, is not, isn't really about our relationship with God. Although the rabbis try to finesse that and say that our relationship to our parents models our relationship to God and vice versa. So why do you think there, that God identifies God's self as the one who took you out of the land of Egypt? Like, why is that the kind of qualification that God gives to him or herself instead of the, don't forget I was the creator of heaven and earth, don't forget I created human beings, don't forget I created the world you're in. Why emphasize the one who took you out of Egypt? So you're asking a question that is, has been asked a thousand years ago almost by Judah Halevi, and it's a classic Jewish philosophical question. He is a Jewish poet, philosopher, author of the work called the Kuzari, 
And he said, because our relationship with God, we don't believe in the philosopher God, some God whose existence can be proven but has nothing to do with us. We believe in the historical God, in the God of our experience, and what we're, it's defined by our relationship with God, what we've done together. Um, and that's the God, that's the Jewish God, not the philosopher God. So it's ultimately about sort of a collaborate, the collaborative God also, that we, we did the Exodus together. Right? No? I mean, uh, yeah. So you mean it's like a couple saying, like, uh, all of these things we've experienced together, or we're in this together. So it's right. about and that, that was bond a peak. And that, that was a peak moment because mm-hmm. it was kind of, it was our defining uh, freedom. It was the time that we, you gave us instruction. We followed it. You were with us um, through the, you know, through the parting of the sea and then the desert with the cloud, the, the fire and the, and the cloud. And, and in other words, you took care of us and we, we're together in this in this difficult Yeah, I really liberation. like that because so much of the Torah is about the ethics or the, the the centrality of relationship. So you're saying this relationship is the foundation. Um, I would also say it's because, you know, if God is involved in history and took us out of Egypt and not up in the heavens, then that's why God can command us. That's why God cares how we act in this world because God is in our lives. And, and then doesn't it link to Sinai? Because when God sent the law down... It was ultimately there was a choice to whether accept the law or not, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely, and so, we had to willingly accept it. So, in that sense, the relation, the covenant was um, was kind of played out. Yeah, you're absolutely in a very correct. intense way. I mean, I think that key word covenant. You know, we talk about the Ten Commandments, but the command is very you know unilateral, one direction. But the Torah frames it as after they were given the commandments, you know, they entered a covenant with God, which is very bilateral. So it it's really a contract, is about that. It's a that. partnership, exactly. So let's get beyond the opening commandments. It feels like the next ones are obvious, like mm-hmm. don't murder. That's a no brainer, correct? But the others are a little bit less intuitive, such as don't covet. I mean, how can one be commanded not to feel, particularly jealousy? Yeah, I mean, that is a really good question. Why does this make it to the top 10? Um, I mean, the rabbis say that coveting is not just jealousy or envy or desire. It's very specifically a desire to try to take and to possess something. So understood that way, it's like a gateway sin to stealing. You know, in a way, that was the very first sin of humanity, right? Eating the apple from the tree. You're not supposed to have something, but you want it and you just take it. So that could be like the core of a lot of evil in this world, stealing and adultery and so on. And I would imagine, I mean, coveting leads to other bad stuff because it leads, if you if if you want what someone else has, your son was going to go to war to take it. You might kill someone for it. In other words, that it's the seed that leads to the worst offense. Exactly. Exactly, exactly. So let me ask you a question now. Um, Are there anyone here, any one of these commandments that would not be on your top 10 list? Taking the Lord's name in vain. What's the matter with that one? (laughs) Well, it just seems like a waste of a commandment. I mean, these are the big 10, and you're going to waste one of those, you know, precious directives on something you shouldn't say? Well, I, I mean, I think the message is that everything is rooted in our relationship with God, like we discussed earlier. So if we have awe and fear of God, and if saying God's name is something that carries weight, then how careful are we going to be? Then, you know, we're, we're going to be so careful about keeping God's commandments. I mean, it's like in Harry Potter, where, you know, you're not supposed to say Voldemort's name. And the whole book, everybody's going around avoiding saying the name. That creates a tremendous sense of, you know— of, of weight, and in that case, fear, it enters into your consciousness. So, like, if we didn't go around saying, you know, oh, God, for, the, oh, for God's sake, you know, we said every time we said God's name, it had a lot of weight to it. 
I, I think we would be different, live our lives differently. Would you think we'd be more faithful, more pious, just because of the 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 ban on actually utter on the utterance? I mean, seriously, <laughs> right. because there, does it make you more faithful to actually? Right. Well, let me be clear. Halacha interprets that verse, do not take the Lord's name Halacha in vain. Halacha meaning Jewish, Jewish law. law. as taking an oath in, in God's name, either a false oath or, you know, saying God's name in a way that is um, that is unnecessary, but in a context of really of, of a weighty context, not normal speech. But again, I think it's a question about our God consciousness, and that's something that I think could be different than it is. So if I was going to add a commandment, not that anybody's asking me, I would say, why are we not uh, forbidden to desecrate the earth? That it, that, it, that it should matter that God created something that's not only beautiful and precious, but miraculous, and that God should be saying to us, don't ruin what I gave you. Well, what you said, Abby, is almost word for word a midrash. The midrash says that after God created the world, he took Adam and Eve on a, and he showed them everything he had created and said, look at this beautiful world I have created and I've given you. Take great care not to waste it. Um, and you're right. Like, why? Why isn't that a commandment? Not only not the ten. Like, why isn't it just more an explicit mitzvah, some commandment somewhere in the Torah, more part of our ethos? I mean, I think one of the reasons is that in the past it didn't have to be so much. I mean, you know, what didn't have to be the 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 the, 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 the mandate to protect the world until the industrial revolution. I don't think that the world's safety was at risk. Um, right, nowadays, we didn't have to say it. We didn't have to say it. In a way, it was said the very first commandment. God says to Adam, "I've given you dominion." over over the world, watch the garden, protect the garden, um, and the risk wasn't as great. But now that we're really risk, the life of the planet is at risk. Uh, I think we all would like that to be a much weightier commandment than what it is. What about bearing false witness? Like, how often are we witnesses? I'm not sure why this is relevant. Again, in the big top ten. Well, I think that it's a question of how you define what it means to bear witness. Um, in the narrow sense, it means to go to court and to testify on behalf of somebody and to make something up. Maybe somebody is paying you to testify so that they can win their court case. So that, I think, is pretty narrow. I mean, it could happen, but I don't think that's as relevant broadly to our lives. Do you have a way of understanding that in a broader well, way? Well, I thought that you had once explained to me that false witness is basically lying, mm. like not truth-telling. And that, to me, is, is completely relevant for this moment without getting too close to the line of politics. What does it mean to testify falsely or to to speak falsely um, in, a pu- in the public setting, which, to me, uh, it does seem to do more damage, and, and we're seeing that now than maybe people appreciated before, that it sets in motion kind of um, a, a sense of doubting the things that you used to take for granted right. as as truth. And affecting policy and politics and all of that. Um, I just want to say that, you know, we it's okay to say a, to tell a white lie. Like, we're not absolute. You can never say some, an untruth. But saying a, a falsehood that has, you know, that really hurts people, that's, uh, you know, the type of thing we're talking about here. Um, so let me ask you this. Uh, all of these commandments seem to be universal, Right. That's is that a way that to think about them about why these are the top ten because like we don't have anything particularistic here. We don't have 
you know, um, the idea of keeping kosher. We don't have the idea of, we don't have circumcision. We don't have the Jewish holidays. So one way of thinking about these 10 is that they're a universal ethics. Except for the Sabbath. Well, that's true. Um, you know, it is true that Sabbath was created before there were Jews. The Sabbath was the seventh day of creation. God sanctifies it. Um, that's before there's a Jewish people. And um, certainly Western religions all have a Sabbath, right? The Christians on Sunday, the Muslims on a Friday. So is there a way you can relate to Sabbath as a universal? Well, I think what's universal about the Sabbath directive is that sense that God is insisting not just that we rest— but that our workers rest, whether it's your subordinates or your colleagues, that it's a commandment not to enslave. And it goes back again, because we were slaves, because we are remembering, I am God who took you out of slavery, and that the Sabbath is universal in saying that there has to be a time when everyone mm. basically gets a break. Right, right. No, I totally agree with that. You know, and in, when it's the Ten Commandments are repeated in the book of Deuteronomy, and there the verses are explicit. It says, that's remember, the last book of Torah. Exactly. And it says, remember, keep the Sabbath. Remember, you were a slave. God took you out of Egypt. Therefore, you have to give rest to your, sla- to your slaves or servants, to your animals. You know, I remember that Blue Greenberg once told me that she was on a UN commission about universal human rights. Tell us who Blue Greenberg Oh, my God. Leading Orthodox Jewish feminist. Uh, Anything more? Everything else is commentary. Um, She's she's amazing. (laughs) She is absolutely amazing. And she said that she pointed out that from the commandment of the Sabbath, we can learn that there is a universal right to rest, that we do not have to work for seven days a week. We should never be enslaved others, and we should never be enslaved ourselves. Don't be a slave to your job, and you have a. Every human being has a right to rest. Well, I'm giving you a rest right now, Dove. <laughs> so have a restful Shabbat. You too. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. We hope you'll join us next time for Parsha in Progress. I'm Abby Pogrevin. And I'm Dove Linzer. Nice to talk to you, Dove. Nice talking, Abby. Parsha in Progress is written and hosted by Rabbi Dove Linzer and Abigail Pogrebin. It's produced by Shira Talishkin and edited by Sophia Steiner-Evoy. The show is executive produced by Josh Cross, Jacob Siegel, and Tablet Magazine.